0: This past week, I came across an article with the headline, The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven Now Wants His Day in Court. In 2004, Alex Malakia, six-year-old, was being driven home by his dad who collided with uh, another vehicle when his dad made a a left turn. And the tragic result of that accident was Alex's skull being detached from his spinal cord. Uh, Two months later, he came out of a coma with a story to tell. He said that he'd been to heaven and had spoken with Jesus and God the Father. Tyndale House published He's experienced in a book called The Boy Who Came Back From Heaven, which sold over one million copies. But then in 2015, Alex came clean. And he said, I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. And as it turned out, his dad put him up to the whole thing. But even without Alex coming clean... Alex's story would have waved large red flags in the minds of all who know their Bibles. Why? Well, because when people encounter God in the Bible, they don't call book publishers. They don't call agents. They call out to die. God said to Moses in Exodus thirty-three twenty, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Isaiah chapter 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And when Peter and James and John ascended the Mount of Transfiguration and saw the glory of Jesus Christ, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. We continue our series in Genesis this evening, looking at Genesis chapter 17. And Genesis chapter 17 begins with these words. Verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you, I may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And the reason men fall on their faces when they encounter God is because God is holy and we are not. And the between God's holiness and our sinfulness, there is an infinite chasm, every inch of which damns us apart from a Savior. And from the Garden of Eden to the stable. Of Bethlehem, God was preparing his people to understand how in the world they could be presented as holy and blameless in the presence of a thrice holy God because of the work of another. And Genesis 17 is a crucial milestone in God's plan to prepare his people for that gospel truth. The point of our passage tonight is God wants a holy people. God reaffirms the covenant that he made with Abram in Genesis chapter 15, and in so doing, he places pointers to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message again that announces how we as sinners can in fact appear blameless and holy before the face of God at point blank range. And many of those gospel pointers and many of those gospel promises are in the dark as it were they're in the shadows as it were throughout the old testament but being where we are tonight in new covenant days in the light of christ we see them clearly and so do let me say if you're here tonight and you are not yet a christian you need genesis chapter 17 so much more than you realize your life Your soul and your eternity hinges on the gospel truths found in Genesis chapter 17. God wants a holy people. And as God reaffirms this covenant with Abraham, we're going to see number one, the covenant blessing. And number two, the covenant sign. So number two, the covenant blessing. Look with me at verse 3. Moses writes, and God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So what was the covenant blessing that God promised to Abram and to Sarai, his barren wife? For it was fruit in abundance. To, To a man who was as good as dead when it came to procreation and to a, a woman who was as good as dead when it came to childbearing, God promised to bless them with the impossible exceeding fruitfulness and it would start with a son Isaac who would go on to become nations and from those nations would come kings such that in the end no mansion would be able to house them all only a land would suffice. And the blessing was so rich that name changes were in order to correspond with these transformed destinies and futures. Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. In Shakespeare's famous play Romeo and Juliet, Juliet asks, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet, that is the, the name of, the, of a thing, doesn't really matter. It's the essence of a thing that counts, but evidently God disagrees. He gives Abram the name Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Ab, father. Ram, high. Hamon, multitude. And since kings were, born, uh, were to be born to Sarai, it made sense that her name would be changed to Sarah, which means princess. But the reason that God could change their names was because of his name. El Shaddai, verse 2 again, I am God Almighty. El, the Semitic word for God, Shaddai, emphasizing God's power. That's where all of this impossible blessing would come from. That's where it would all be mined from. God's omnipotent ability to make his blessing do the impossible. His power would take a moon-worshipping pagan from Ur of the Chaldeans and make him the father of faith in Yahweh. And his power made a homeless man the possessor of a land. His power took an almost 100-year-old man and a barren woman and brought out from her womb a son and nations and kings. Because God was and God is all powerful El Shaddai he doesn't need our help he doesn't need our wisdom he doesn't need our ingenuity he doesn't need our Hagar's why because he is El Shaddai God Almighty and this blessing owing to the power of God reaches down to us as well because whereas this promise was promised to Abraham and Sarah through faith in Jesus Christ it is fulfilled in us We are the offspring. We are the nation to come from Abraham's line, whether we are his biological or ethnic or bloodline or physical descendants or not. Why? Because we are joined by faith to the offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Know then, Paul writes to a bunch of Gentiles, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then, later in that same passage there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you are Christ's then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise so do you believers allow me to say this never forget that you are a walking miracle Never forget that you are a walking miracle. Life outside of the Garden of Eden is a struggle, isn't it? And I know that some of you are dreading tomorrow morning. Some of you resent the fact that I've brought up tomorrow morning. Another day, another week. But friend, in Jesus Christ, God's miraculous power is fulfilled and seen in your testimony. And you know, realizing that afresh every day will produce in you two keys to the Christian life. Gratitude and faith. Gratitude and faith. Ingratitude and doubt closes prison doors in our faces, but gratitude and faith opens them up wide again. And the sunshine of God's face falls on our countenances. Ingratitude and doubt, they're like the two foxes who had their tails tied together, set on fire, and then were let loose in God's vineyard. But gratitude and faith will produce all that we need to persevere through hardship and discouragement and dangers and toils and snares, everyone gratitude and faith. do you have that tonight, friend, you know in his book a faithful narrative of the surprising work of God in Northampton. Jonathan Edwards tells one of the thousands of stories of women who lived with this gratitude and faith. It was Abigail Hutchinson. She'd been convicted of her sin and she'd been seeking the Savior for so long and she hadn't found him. But then Edwards writes, as she awakened on Monday morning, a little before day, she wondered within herself at the easiness and calmness she felt in her mind, which was of that kind she'd never felt before. As she thought of this, such words as these were in her mind. The words of the Lord are pure words. Health to the soul and marrow to the bones. And then these words, the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. Which were accompanied with a lively sense of the excellency of Christ. And his sufficiency to satisfy for the sins of the whole world. She then thought of that expression, it is a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold the sun, which words then seemed to her to be very applicable to Jesus Christ. By these things, her mind was led into such contemplations and views of Christ as filled her exceeding full of joy. She told her brother in the morning that she had seen by faith Christ the last night that she had really thought that she had not knowledge enough to be converted but say she god can make it quite easy on monday she felt all day a constant sweetness in her soul she had a repetition of the same discoveries of christ three mornings together and much in the same manner at each time walking a little before waking a little day uh, little before day brighter and brighter every day and then sometime later her throat became diseased such that she wasn't able to swallow anything no food no water and so she died of thirst but edwards writes as she lay on her deathbed she would often say these words god is my friend and once looking upon her sister with a smile said oh sister how good it is how sweet and comfortable it is to consider and think of heavenly things and used this argument to persuade her sister to be much to be much in such Meditations, gratitude and faith. And what on earth could have produced that? Well, I'll tell you what, God Almighty, El I? And so friend, do not forget who you are. Do not forget what you have received. Do not forget the miracle that is your life and is your soul. It is the handiwork of God himself the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham all those years ago. And second, I want us to see the covenant sign. Look at verse 9 of Genesis 17. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And then drop your eye down to verse 22. It says, When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Now, It might surprise us to learn that circumcision didn't actually originate with the Hebrews. It didn't originate with uh, Abraham in this chapter of the Bible. It was a practice from at least 2800 BC and probably further before that as well. But someone wrote, circumcision was not a new rite practice or custom, but God gave it new importance and special meaning. What was the new importance and special meaning? Well, Paul told us in Romans chapter 4 as we opened our service, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a sign of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. That is, it was a physical sign of a spiritual reality that Abraham had already received being delivered from the dominion of darkness, being transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom he had redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But not only was it a sign of the righteousness that he had already received, it was a sign of the righteousness that he was to embody. A reminder that God wants a holy people cut off from sin and set apart to God. Cut from this Set apart to this over here. Verse 1 again. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So if that's true. Why was it that Paul said in the New Testament. That Gentile converts don't need to be circumcised. Well over time. Circumcision was viewed as an end. In and of itself. So, in other words, the call to holiness that it symbolized really didn't matter so long as the sign itself was there. But the reality is, in Christ, we Gentiles have the perfect righteousness to which circumcision pointed in the first place, so that ours is a circumcision not made with hands, a circumcision of the heart. That's why Paul could write to another bunch of Gentiles and say in Philippians chapter 3, we are the circumcision. And so you may not have been circumcised in the flesh, but in Christ we have the circumcision of the heart because his righteousness is ours by faith. The apostle Peter said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, Do that? How do we say no to the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul and live circumcised lives? And the answer of the Bible is this, by believing that God's promises of righteousness are better than the fleeting pleasures of sin. It boils down to faith. Aaron Ralston was a a climber who was exploring a canyon in the Canyonlands National Park in in Utah. And tragically, uh, a boulder fell on him, which trapped both of his arms. And he was able to free his left arm, but couldn't get his right arm free. He tried everything. He tried chipping away at the rock with the army knife that he had, but in the end he came to the conclusion that the only option he had was to sever his right arm. He said, quote, essentially I got my surgical table ready and applied the knife to my arm and started soaring back and forth. I didn't even break the skin. I couldn't even cut the hair off my arm. The knife was so dull. Later, I got so far as to puncture the skin and then found that I couldn't cut the bone, essentially knowing that you can't cut the bone without a bone saw. By Thursday, so three days later, I'd figured out an option around that. I was able to first snap the radius and then within another few minutes snap the ulnar at the wrist. And from there, I had the knife out and applied the tourniquet and went to task. It was a process that took about an hour. Why would he do that? Because despite the excruciating agony and loss, his life was worth it. His life was worth the loss. And parting ways with sin may feel impossible. It it, it may feel excruciatingly agonizing, but in view of what God has promised, it is worth it. Let me give you an example from the New Testament. Hebrews 13 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Why would we do that? Well, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you get the connection? Since God has promised never to leave us or forsake us, we can leave our money because God's promise to us is better than holding on to everything in the world. We can leave our money at the boulder. We can sever ties with the love of money. Why? Because God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. His promise is better. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy, mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, For he endured us seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. So that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. We are made holy and blameless. And presented as such before the throne of God by faith in Jesus Christ. But that holiness and blamelessness is to be realized in the way that we live. Friend, know the promises of God. Trust the promises of God. Live on the promises of God because God wants a holy people. Circumcised far more than in the flesh alone, but in heart and in the way that we live. That is who we are. And let us embody it as we journey on to glory as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing, Oh great God of high